once you find find stories that are told off the field that can kind of relate or change people's hearts or let them be a part of something, I think it just resonates and it can change lives. And so for us to be able to tell his story just transcends the game. And so I love the sports. I love the stories better. This is Untold Sideline Stories, a podcast where athletes, broadcasters, and employees behind the scenes in the sports industry share their stories and experiences that don't normally make the broadcast. Rebecca Fiorentino here, and on the show today, I sit down with E60 producer Jeremy Williams. We talk his path to E60 and where his passion for storytelling comes from. On Sunday, July 7th, E60 debuted Jeremy's latest piece, Southmost, Football and Life on the Border, a compelling and challenging story about the Southmost city in the state of Texas with a unique high school football rivalry. Crisis on the U.S. border with Mexico. More hard drugs being smuggled into People the country. People trying to cross the border from Mexico into the U.S. illegally. For a lot of them, it's an outlet. And that's what I tell them. Use it. Let's go, man. Let's go. These kids come from the same area, and it goes beyond just football games. Crossing the border as we speak. Who killed him? Uh, the bad people, the cartel. You've done as much as you can. It wasn't enough, sir. It's okay, but... <laughs> Before their day even starts, they've overcome more than a lot of us has overcome in a lifetime. I wanted to find a story that was less about politics and more about people. And so basically what I did was I found two high schools that were rivals. And basically while the, the teams were very different, the stories behind those teams were, very, were a lot of the same. Uh, most of those kids were fighting through immigration issues, uh, cartel issues being that, that close to the border, economic issues. So I found uh, two kids per school. And uh, I'm just kind of telling their stories. And, and like I said, some are running from the cartel because the cartel killed their family. Um, you know, one kid's family stuck in a cartel city and he's having to go back and forth and seeing them from the other side. And, and, um, one kid adopted his three siblings, one being five years old because his mother sold drugs for the cartel and is now in prison. So at 17, he adopted them. So these kids are just remarkable human beings and are some of the best Americans that I've ever met. So with all the talk of, you know, any wall or immigration, uh, I just found a way to humanize it. What is it about storytelling that keeps you going back? I think it's when I watch something, whether that be a movie or like a piece that we do or a documentary, I always think, okay, what what mode or what feeling did I invoke? And so when I'm watching stuff, like, what did I get out of that? So every piece that I, that I try to do, I try to get – that feeling, I try to invoke some kind of emotion. I think that's what's important. I think that's what my job is to kind of like to let people know is like 
that that things in the world aren't simple and that there's a lot more behind sports than just the game. So for me, I think my job is, you know, in, in telling these stories is to always find compelling compelling stories that either evoke emotion or help educate someone or might even give you a change of heart on something. So I think just I think all that encompassing is just kind of what, what I like to do. What has been the most challenging part of trying to tell these stories that have a lot of emotion to them? I think, it, I mean, a lot of it's time and money like you know you mm-hmm. want to be with you want to be with these kids and you want to you want to tell you know you want to tell their story and, and give it justice and there's also the challenge of that is being too close as well so you still have to do your job and but you can't let them tell their own narratives a lot of the times uh, especially sports athletes because they definitely want to tell their own their, their own narratives so you have to do your job as well as like relating to them and getting them to trust you and, and doing doing what you think is right. You can't, you know, the best one of the, my best attributes I think is like I'm always honest and I always try to be Jeremy whether that's when the camera's on or when the camera's off. And so I try to be straightforward with people, genuine with people while sharing my personal stories. I I develop a trust and hopefully they'll they'll do the same. They can relate. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I try to relate and, and then uh, tell their stories the best way I can. But there there are challenges, and a lot of times it's time and money um, because you just don't have the time enough to, to completely dive in, and obviously money is always a factor. Brownsville and Matamores are two cities separated by the Rio Grande River. However, a steel fence is more noticeable along the river's bank that serves as a border between the U.S. and Mexico. Jeremy joined four high school students on numerous trips crossing the border, some even dangerous, and they were asked to return to the U.S. The emotions you feel in this documentary are so much more than politics and football. The best way to understand their story is to listen. Jeremy spent nearly two years putting this story together. The best way to understand Jeremy is to listen to his story as well. It all starts with his father, being murdered when Jeremy was only two years old. But my mom, she was she had the best heart ever. But like, it's just situations that I had to learn on my own. That was a rough, rough situation. There was a lot of mental bulliness going on and things like that. So I went through my own trials and tribulations. But just the people in general and like what people go through was just, I guess, the motivating factor. And so while I love sports, the, that, along with the people, um, kind of gave me a passion. And I didn't understand what it was until I didn't tap into that stuff until later. So when I got into sports, I, I got into a bad accident at work. I, was, I didn't have any money in there. Again, I was, going to a, uh, I was trying to get into Clemson at the time because it was the closest. And I worked at this geotextile mill. And so literally I was making $17 an hour, and I thought I was rich. And so, long story short, like, these grinder rolls that suck in fabric, uh, like, caught my shoe and it sucked me in. And long story short, like, I didn't walk for a year and they almost cut my leg off twice. Literally laying in the hospital bed, like, you just think about, okay, what do I love? What do I want to do? And, like, I just kept thinking and thinking and thinking. And, like, I just, 
I literally just kept coming back to coming back to Duke basketball in the ACC. And I was like, okay, what can I do with that? And once I found out that I wasn't going to lose my leg, I had to figure out how to walk again. But then I was, like, super motivated. I was super like, okay, you know, I got my leg back. Like, now it's time to go to work. So I already had that work ethic instilled in me. I just didn't know what, where to focus it. So once I figured out how to get there, then I started researching, like, schools and how to get into TV. And so I actually uh, called this film school called Carolina School of Broadcasting, and I said, I will come there, but only if you can get me a, um, if you can give me an internship with Jefferson Pilot Sports or Raycom Sports. They said done. So by week two of that school, I'd had a, I had a, an internship with Raycom, and I, I remember just going back to the back, and it was a tape to tape editors, and I would literally just sit there, and I was just going through tapes, making highlight reels, but I thought it was the absolute best thing ever. So fast forward when we started doing features. And then I quickly realized that my past was was giving me an, an advantage because I was able to relate to people, whether it be financial or tragic or whatever it may be. I was able, I was, I just found a love in telling their stories, and I thought that me bonding with with those those people, those characters, and those stories just gave me an advantage and a, and a passion. And so that's what I started doing. At what point were you like, all right, I've found what what I'm supposed to be doing here? Um, I think it's, I, I don't think it's, I think you initially have that at the beginning because it's shocked. Like, you just love everything that you're doing. And then I think there's little things along the way. and It might be a person that you meet or uh, it's often not the product as much is is the relationship or the memory you've had that makes you realize that you're supposed to be doing what you're what you're supposed to be doing so i think i had the initial shock of doing things at first the first duke north carolina game you know where i was working and i was actually getting paid for it or the first time i interviewed coach k or the first time like you know i did a story on this this kid at florida state named peyton pullen uh, where i where i had that bond you're always having that feeling. And now my job at E60, the first time I, I sat down with the kids uh, to talk about the kids' lives who are on the border and, like, what they're going through, and the first time I talked to them, then I realized, okay, it just never stops. Like, you're always constantly reminded of why you should be doing what you're doing. So when you guys find a story, how long does it take you from when you find the story until when it makes air? Well... I'm blessed to work with a group that the quality and the stories trump anything. So I don't think it's predicated on like straight deadlines. It's more so what does it take to get the best story possible? And so E60 is very much so, you know, that's kind of their reputation as being really good storytellers. And so while obviously, you know, you, you can't spend forever doing it I just think it varies I mean it could be a situation where you know we're doing a piece on Jim Calhoun or someone else where it might be six months but typically typically it takes two three four months for a single story what's been your favorite story that you've been able to share with other people to be honest with you I'm such a perfectionist (laughs) when people say 
hey, can you show me a story? I always cringe because I always see something that that I don't like. We all or, critique or, our own work. Yeah, for sure. So I don't know yet. I, I think the best story that I'm gonna that I've done yet is what the one I'm working on now with the border. I think it just it, it touches so many subjects and pulls so many strings of, of the heart and like educates. And I, I just think it's a full encompassing piece. Um, I did a piece earlier this year with a basketball player who uh, named Royce White uh, and his battle with mental health. I think that was an important topic to talk about. Um, but I think I'm really just di diving into these stories that I'm passionate about now. So I think it's just ever-changing. So if you ask me now, it'll be something in a month. And if you ask me next year, it'll be something after that as well. Why do you think it is important to share these types of stories with people? Because people love sports. And, you know, they, they see the game that's being played on the field or on the court. And while that's important, like, you know, people are always looking for a, for a way to be involved or a, a feeling that they get from these sports. And I think that once you find, find stories that are told off the field, they can kind of relate or change people's hearts or let them be a part of something. I think it just resonates and it can change lives. Uh, we, we've done plenty of stories where, where it's a kid and like all he cared about was his favorite athlete and, you know, we don't care whether the athlete goes out and throws for 400 yards or scores, you know, 60 a game. Like, in that kid's eyes, that's his hero. And so for us to be able to tell his story um, just transcends the game. And so I love the sports. I love the stories better. Damn. <laughs> Working with Raycom, who's based in Charlotte, what did you learn from that experience to get you to where you are now with E60? That will always go down as my, probably the best job I ever had um, because I knew nothing. I was a green kid that literally knew nothing. And so the, those group of guys welcomed me in and like let me be creative and let me try things and experiment. And the, it was a brotherhood. I mean, and then, you know, the more I grew and then I got my own little brothers below me. And so it was just a chain of events when we were all working together. And, and Raycom gave me a base of everything, which gives me a direct advantage now, in my opinion, because I'm able to, like, tell my story, be personable, and talk to people, walk into any house within any circumstance and feel comfortable that, that, that I not only belong, but I can relate to their story or at least have enough, um, I know enough about myself that if I don't know that I know how to listen. The technical knowledge of shooting and editing, um, which a lot of producers don't do, but it gave me that, those tools that I can kind of use as my paintbrushes. So I love shooting. There's nothing better for me um, than being behind a camera. Like if I'm feeling bad or if I'm feeling sad, most people run from work, well, I want to be behind a camera. Like I can, I can just get lost in it. And so I think the fact that I love cameras, I love, I love editing my stories. And I, I feel like that place like taught me how to do all three of those things. And so once you put together a story that you're passionate about, you know how, you know how technically how to achieve that. And then you're able to deliver, deliver something that from your heart is, is what we're in this business to do. What's something about shooting and editing and producing your own story 
that some people may not realize is could be a challenge? Um, I, I, the biggest challenge, because I talk to people every day that want to be in this industry, is that, oh, you have the coolest job and things like that. And we do. We have the best jobs, but it is it is it is a mental it is a mental game between yourself, between your coworkers, between you know the people that you're doing the pieces on. Like it is completely mental, and like you have to be mentally strong to be able to do that. And not only that, you have to be you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. I always say the Kobe mentality. <laughs> Kobe would Kobe would do anything it would took to get a championship. But you have to be able to do whatever it takes to do the best stories possible, which means miss birthdays, miss weekends, don't go to the beach with your family, don't go out on dates. Like there's just sacrifices that you have to have in order to perfect your craft. And when I'm not when I'm not on camera, I mean when I'm not shooting camera, I'm not um uh, shooting a story or I'm not producing something or I'm not editing, I'm still consuming. And so if you're in that right mindset, then, like, you're always working. Now, that can be exhausting. But even when I'm on Snapchat, like, I saw a, a story today about a young lady who's doing CrossFit with no arms, no legs. A lot of people would just go by that. I immediately start researching that. And so I'm always working and consuming and thinking about what the next story is because stories are bigger than yourself. And once you realize that the stories are bigger than you personally, then you'll do well. I just think the E60 is like, it, it's always been the dream of mine. And I, I'll tell you a quick story on like, on how I got the E60. E60, because it, it transcended sports so much, it told the story of Patrick Willis who had been beaten by his father and they lived in a trailer and like what it took to, for him to overcome that situation to Josiah Vieira who had progeria disease and like, you know, fought against this, you know, all he loved was baseball and he fought against this, this disease and loved a game that that wasn't timed because you know his life was timed and so those stories just transcended sports and hit me so so hard it was just always the dream and so while I'm at while well, I said earlier that I'm always working that is true I would watch these these shows and I would like try to try to emulate their styles and put my own twist on them and it got to be where a point where I was watching shows just to watch the credits. Well, I knew at ESPN that everyone's email address was jeremy.williams at ESPN.com or whatever that may be. And so I went to the end of um, a piece and I saw uh, my boss now, Ben Hauser's name, and I knew his email. So I just started cold emailing him saying, hey, I'm a huge fan of the show. Will you please critique me? Just critique me. I don't want to know what I've done well. What didn't you like? What do I need to do to make this piece be able to be good enough to be ran on E60? So guys like Ben Hauser, and I did the same thing with a 30 for 30 producer named Gentry Kirby. Same thing. Critique me. And they would send me pages of stuff. And so, like, I would take it, and, I, and you know, I have thick skin. And even now, like, I don't want to know what I did well. I want to know what I did bad because I'm always learning. And so for me... When I got that phone call that there was a, a job opening at E60, like, I just knew it was in the cards. And so when I flew up there and I was walking around ESPN, like, I knew I was where I needed to be. So, and E60 has, has it's only been two years in, but, like, I know for, like, they're the preeminent sports storytellers at ESPN, in my opinion, and the best in the country. 
because they're able to tell stories and look beyond the game and find stories that, that, that really matter. So I just know that I'm at the right place now and I'm just getting started. You can watch Southmost Football and Life on the Border on ESPN.com. Make sure to follow Jeremy on Twitter at JeremyESPNE60 for more stories in the future. If you have any suggestions or someone you think that should be my next guest, send them to at Becca Fiorentino on Twitter or Instagram. Music produced by Eli O'Neill Music. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe. I'm Rebecca Fiorentino, and you've been listening to the Untold Sideline Stories podcast.